some people work in nine to five jobs, I am one of the lucky ones. Somehow I landed in the dream job. Welcome to Tales of a Luxury Yacht Chef. Hi, I'm Lisa Mead, and for the past 27 years, I've been working on luxury super yachts in the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, and my home turf of Australia. I've cooked for royalty, heads of state, celebrities, and all walks of life. I'm going to be talking to crew, past charter guests, and loads of people that are connected to the global yachting community. We're going to hear amazing fun stories and also lots of useful information and tips. So welcome aboard. I had the pleasure of meeting today's guest, Sean DeVries, when he interviewed me on his very successful podcast, Principle of Hospitality. Sean is also the founder of Open Pantry Consulting, an industry leader in Melbourne's hospitality for over 20 years. A venue owner himself, he understands what it takes to develop a concept into an award-winning and profitable venture. Today, our roles are reversed. I look forward to discovering more about this successful entrepreneur, but also selfishly look forward to picking his brains on how to produce a successful podcast. Hello, Sean. Hello, Lisa. How are you? I'm very good. This is exciting. I get to be the one asking the questions. Oh, this is good. I mean, that intro was was flawless. I think I should get, get you to do my intros. You're much better. So. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I had such a great time on your podcast. You, you, mm. you put people at ease. You've got such great questions and insight. It Thank was you. just very calming and, and a, a great fun event. I had good times. Awesome. Thank you. It's good to hear. <laughs> now, where, where are you right now? So I'm in Melbourne, um, as you said at the start, um, but um, and we're now now in another lockdown as we record yeah. this podcast version version six. But but yeah, I'm originally from originally from South Australia, so um, I haven't lived in SA for um, around ten or eleven years at least now. And sort of during those ten or eleven years, I've lived in Melbourne, Perth, Brisbane, and Vancouver. But but Adelaide is still is still definitely home to me. So that's where that's where I sort of started in the industry, and that's where that's where I got my inspiration to be doing what I'm doing now. But yeah, Melbourne's Melbourne's my day to day home for sure. Now you're speaking of your your inspiration. When did you first become interested in cooking? It's a really good question. I think for me, like cooking was something that sort of crept up on me. Probably around twelve or thirteen, I sort of decided that I like to um, I like to bake, I like to make food, um, I like to experiment, and, and those kind of things. I entered a couple of you know kind of uh, competitions and stuff when I was really early at school, and and decided that I liked that kind of um, that kind of competitive streak in myself in regards to food, <laughs> and then. And then at 15, I decided that I wanted to be a chef. I went for an interview at um, Hyatt Hotels to try to be an apprentice chef on a mass recruitment drive they were doing for apprentices. And they said, um, they said no, they felt I was a bit too, bit too young at that stage. And that kind of put me off for a little bit. And then, um, and then basically I started my career when I was 16 as a baker's assistant at a local baker's delight around the corner for me that opened up. And um, that really started, yeah, my career in the industry and my love of baking at the start and, and obviously cooking overall. And, yeah, I just re- it's sort of something I fell into and I certainly didn't think I was going to start my career in baking. Um, but it's something that, that I really am thankful for when I look back, for sure. What is, what is it about baking that you get sort of led you in that direction, do you think? 
I think just circumstance at that at that particular point. But as I sort of you know, and I was you know, I started when I was in year twelve. Uh, sorry, end of year eleven. And I did year 12 and I was doing 20 hours a week at the bakery, you know, sort of 16 hours on the weekend and, and then coming in on a Tuesday afternoon to do a cleaning shift. And, um, and I just, I love the fact that there was camaraderie between the team of bakers and that you would get up every morning, you know, super early before anyone else. And it kind of felt, kind of felt just, you know, like you're in the cool club, like no one else could be a part of it. Like this secret sort of bakers, you know, bakers group that sort of got up and make, <laughs> made this great product every day before everyone else got up. And, and that, and that made me feel really passionate about being part of the industry and, and, you know, those early sort of formative years of me learning how to bake and learning how to be part of a small team and, and how that sort of made me feel and, and seeing customers interaction every day and how lucky they would feel to, to receive product that we made for them. And, and that really, cemented what I wanted to do in the industry, which was to bring happiness and bring connection through food. And and I was lucky that I was part of a group really early on and, and, and had a boss, um, Greg Huggett, really early on who taught me the power of food and the power of connection. You know, I, I have such a respect for bakers. It's such a, it, I mean, as much as it's creative, it's also a science. Uh, mm. and I, I'm more of a chef that loves to just kind of toss things together. And obviously, <laughs> if it's a cake, I have to follow a recipe. But yes. uh, it, it really is so technical. And I mean, you really have mm. to have two sides of your brain for that part of the industry. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think I've always sort of thought when I look back now, maybe not in those early stages, but um, chefs are kind of the cool people who are able to sort of move with the flow and think about seasonality and, and create really cool dishes and, um, you know, foams and smears and sauces and, and all those kind of things. And, and bakers are much more, you know, strategic and, and there is a lot of black and white in baking, whether you're doing uh, patisserie or whether you're doing um, uh, pastry or bread, like they're very, very different. And, and I think baking for me was just that, solid consistent thing that would change seasonally with things like flour and yeast and all that kind of stuff or water temperature mm. but would be, be largely very similar every day you know you would you would do the same recipe you would achieve the same process you there'd be some fluctuations which you'd have to attend to but but largely it was consistent and, and at that part of my life in my sort of formative late late teens and going into my early 20s that was something I didn't realize I needed and it was and it was really really great for me at that point in my career. Absolutely. A couple of years ago, I was lucky enough to do uh, a workshop at um, Saviour School, Christian Christian Tibble's cooking mm-hmm. workshop. Oh, and, lovely! Oh, that was hardcore. <laughs> I mean, it, it was funny. There were all professional bakers in there, and then me. And and if they weren't bakers, they were all engineers. So you can mm. that that technical part of the brain was attracting them to this particular workshop. It was mm. just totally, it was so amazing just to be part of all that. But um, yeah, major respect. Now you, yeah. um, sorry, you you obviously love baking, but did you work in restaurants that weren't baking related? Not until not until I sort of had I uh, got in, into my late twenties. So I had my career with Bakes the Light in both working in stores, managing stores, and then owning stores up until the point I was about twenty seven. 
Um, and then that sort of started my career um, into cafes and into quick service restaurants and other sort of QSR brands. So it wasn't mm-hmm. until it wasn't until my late twenties that that I got the you know what are called sort of the next phase of my career where it was much more you know customers on demand rather than produce a product they'll come and buy it and then they leave. Um, it was you know it was a much different form of hospitality in which you really had to care for a guest um, for a, a much longer period of time and you would have bigger teams in which you'd have to look after and and um, and, and a lot more people on, on service in which you'd have to instruct. So that was sort of the second part of my career. So I got a really good, a really good start in regards to the baking, but, but the next stage was to, <laughs> was to certainly come pretty quickly. <laughs> right. Yeah. You mentioned that you were, uh, you worked in Canada. What were you doing there? After, after sort of uh, 10 or 11 years of Bakes Delight, um, I had, um, so I had a car, I had a car accident, unfortunately, which which led to me losing my businesses in my in sort of yeah. 20, 26, 27. And after I recovered from that, came back to the bakeries and then and then on sold them to a couple of franchise partners in Bakes Delight itself. Uh, Bakes Delight gave me the opportunity to go to Vancouver with their subsidiary brand they call Cobbs. So they call it Cobbs Bread, which there's a company owned bakery system. Right. Um, and they and they asked me to go over there for a for a period of time and, and go and work there. And it was a short sort of three or four months stint. But got the opportunity to sort of learn, you know, a different culture, albeit still English, and really understand the differences, the nuances between different markets, both by training and recruitment of staff, looking at store, like store fit out, and also also obviously supply chain and what people buy. Like people, even though it's largely the same brand, people buy very differently in Canada than they do in Australia. Yeah. And um and that and that sort of started my thinking and analysis of brands in a very different way is that when I've been allowed to go over to different states around Australia, especially like people in Perth will eat differently to people in Brisbane and certainly will eat differently to people in Melbourne and Adelaide. So that, that really got my foundation for analysis of hospitality venues to making sure that they can, you know, be successful and the best version of themselves. You know, it's interesting how you, our our life journey occurs. You know, mm. you, you 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 had these businesses, you had this obviously nasty car accident, which then mm. kind of detoured you into this, you know, new side of your business that that led mm. on to I'm guessing um, open pantry consulting. Correct. Yeah, I think. Look, I think from the car accident and what I learned from that, because I was off. You know, I was physically off work for you know uh, beyond sort of seven to eight months. God. Um, and coming from a coming from a point in time in which I was working 70, 80 hours a week, and I thought that was you know week on week, and I thought that was success. And mm. then all of a sudden, I had to learn how to how to really manage through people and how to um, delegate responsibility. And and I, I think I'm fortunate that I learned that quite early in my career um that's probably the good thing that came out of what what happened to me in a really bad situation yeah is that I learned I learned delegation and and that and that kind of thing and and I suppose after that period of time I was lucky to to work for Grilled um which I'm sure many Australian people would know who listen to the podcast yes. um at a very early stage of their trajectory when they had about 10 or 12 restaurants all around Australia today as we record this they have beyond 100 uh, 150 and really got to be part of that culture and and develop, learn, train, grow within a culture which was high performing, 
um, had amazing values around people and and really celebrating success. And to have to have that involvement for a brand like them for six years, like uh, extremely fortunate. Mm. Um, and so working for them in Brisbane and then in Perth um, to help them over in Perth for a short period of time as well, like learn to whole heap. Um, and, and then coming to Melbourne sort of just over six years ago now, working for another QSR brand before going back into going back into bakeries this time, except I was, I was running um, a couple of specialist sourdough bakeries um, which was an amazing experience for 12 months. Wow. Um, and, and learning from, you know, someone someone who literally brought macarons to Melbourne and developed that in the sort of the early 2000s. Learning what product quality really was about and how people would, customers would come back for a product that was consistent and that they loved and they felt connected to. And the customer service is a layer on top of that product. Um, that That's something I really hadn't seen to that level before and... and mm. And and also we did a whole lot of wholesale bread and and you know we got we were doing Andrew McConnell's restaurants here in Melbourne and Rockpool and Dinner by Heston when it was still around. Wow, doing some doing some really cool things and so that got me in the you know that got me in the back door in kitchens of a lot of amazing amazing restaurants and 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 learning from and and meeting a lot of amazing chefs and you know those those kind of situations and those kind of moments you don't realise until you've left and. And when I look back now, like even though that was only, you know, a few years ago now, like I feel very fortunate and very lucky to have those experiences in my career. And, and from that, yeah, Open Pantry Consulting was born. I had a, I had a friend of a friend who was, who was opening up a burger restaurant about uh, 15 k's out of Melbourne and said, do you want to help? And, and when I was with Grilled, I'd, I'd, you know, been part of teams and probably opened, you know, beyond 20 restaurants and, 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 and led a lot of those teams as well. Mm. And and knew I had the skill and and sort of just decided to um, call it open pantry because I, I I thought I had all the ingredients within inside the pantry that that people could learn from me and 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 help them you know put a put a bit of um a bit of polish to their to their venues whatever they be and 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 that's when open pantry was born and and you know I've, I've gone back and worked for a couple of brands just um, as an employee in between that time as well but oh, wow. for the brands but. Yeah, but the brand's been around for for five years, live for five years, and and since lockdown has been been lucky to be very active. So it's been been really fortunate. You helped to turn these uh, venues into successes. What is involved in that? How do you? What are some steps to get there? Sure, I, I suppose it really depends on the client. And the first the first thing I always ask any new potential client is what what do you want to happen. So, so what I mean by that is, you know, some people, you know, I'll walk into situations in which there's, there's five partners in a business and they might have, you know, they might have one or two venues together. So for someone in a partner in that venue, they might just want to take $50,000 from the brand a year, or they might want to, another partner might want to grow the brands, right? Yeah. If I walk into a, I walk into another, another venue where it's a single operator and they've been in the industry for a long time and they're just really protective for this particular venue. They want to get that right and they want to grow. That's a really cool thing. So I need to, t- I need to take that at a very different measure than what I would if I'm dealing with a lot of different partners involved in one venue. So I, I think for me, I basically play around operations, systems and processes and recruitment. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of things involved in that in regards to, you know, HR compliance, food safety laws, um, 
technology stacks, um, you know, all those things which make up a venue and make up a successful brand. Right. Um, but but with my career, I'm I'm really lucky to have a lot of different experiences with different brands. Yeah. So I think for me, like I'm I'm a very bespoke model in the fact that I can I can um, move and shape into different ways that that people people need within their business, which I'm uh, very grateful for. I can tell just from listening to you that this this is a true passion, not just a business mm. for you. Equally yes. so, I, I I get that impression uh, from your podcast, Principle of Hospitality. Mm-hmm. Can you mm-hmm. tell me how that came to be? That's a good question. I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure like what the <laughs> trigger point was for me to do it. I, I guess like a lot of people have said to me, like I've a, I've a, I've a, you know obviously I have a deep voice and I've a voice for like audio <laughs> and radio. So I think that was I think that was one part of it. And I think my friends just got sick of me saying you know maybe to do radio. So I guess I guess when the opportunity sort of nearly four years ago now to to make podcasting um, episodes was a lot easier through technology. Um, I just I just decided to start and initially it was called Common Ground with Sean. And then, and then um, the Open Pantry podcast, and then, and then since the start of the year, we've we changed it. I brought on my co-founder Sash from um, a design agency called Principal Design, and we've we've named it uh, Principal of Hospitality, or what we acronym as POE. And initially, Lisa, I think it was just about me interviewing my friends and just seeing where that went, you know, and talking about their careers in the industry, what they loved, what they didn't love, um, how they got there, because it was it was always going to be a podcast that I want the industry to listen to not a consumer facing podcast as such right um and I wanted especially in Australia where a lot of our listenership comes from the fact that a hospitality can be a career isn't something we talk about nearly enough and I wanted people who were in the hospitality industry or thinking about the going into the hospitality industry to listen to the stories of people who have been there, done that, or who are on the come up um, at the moment and listen to their stories because I feel that if you can listen to someone's story and resonate with it, then you're more likely to keep on doing what you actually love doing. And and that is hospitality, turning tables, making connections with people, making people's days, um, making great product, you know, making great food, making great coffee and, and beverage. So, yeah, I think, I think, the sort of selfish reason was for me to put something out that I was really proud of and and I just wanted to have conversations with my friends and see where that went. So there wasn't really a blueprint at the start. <laughs> you, you know, you 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 were my inspiration to to kickstart this podcast actually. Oh wow. Thank you. Uh, no, Thank totally. You for, <laughs> <laughs> for for uh similar reasons, but basis was obviously my connection to the yachting industry, but then connections mm. that I've made since um, stepping away from that and exactly the same thing you know there's everyone's got an amazing story to tell of you know how they got into whatever it is and it just it, you know you think you know people I'm sure you've spoken to friends on your podcast and learnt things mm. you had no idea that they'd done which is oh, fascinating 100%. yeah <laughs> have you have you learned anything interesting from chatting to any of your guests any any takeaways Oh, I think I, I think I learned from, you know, from every sing, single guest in some way, right? Um, I think, you know, nearly going into 150 podcasts now, um, wow. I'm, fortunate, I'm fortunate to have at least one takeaway from every guest. And, and you're right, like you, you, you script up a conversation, right, in your head as a host of how, 
how podcast is certainly going to go. And then depending on the day and the time and the moment that you're talking to these, these people, like you don't know where it's going to go. Right. So oh, totally. I, I, I think for me, I think like if we talk about, you know, successful hospitality careers and in, into what, you know, the people I usually, um, usually talk to and make a, a large part of the podcast like yourself. I think it's, it's about surrounding yourself with great quality people in the industry who you work with every day, like, like it or not, to learn a craft like hospitality, whether you're a baker, a bartender, a chef, or a waiter, like you're going to be doing a lot of hours because it needs repetition. It needs, um, it needs a really good formula for success. Yeah. So I think, I think part of that for me is to make sure you surround yourself with really great quality people. And I've been fortunate during my career to be around um, usually fantastic leadership right. um, and, and fantastic people underneath that leadership. And, and that's, so that's something that resonates with, with all the guests that come through. And I think, the other thing is just to be be brutally honest with yourself and with the people around you about where you're at. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mental mental health is obviously a big challenge in our industry. Um, always has been, but now getting a lot of airtime, which is fantastic. Yes, and I, and I think you you work too hard and too long to be in a position where you don't get a good result every day. You might not have a fantastic result every day, but if you're dreading to come into work because um, the boss is an idiot or because you're not getting paid right or because you're not proud of the food and bev that you put out every day. Like it's, it's too short. You should leave, you should leave and you should work somewhere else. And I, and I think that's, that's something which has come through on the podcast. Cause when, when people talk to me about those, you know, those sliding doors moments, Lisa, quite often when that door, sh- when that door shuts on that opportunity, another one will open that is always better. It's and, it's incredible how that works. I totally agree with you. It just yeah. amazes me. So I think that comes with jobs and I also think it comes with venues. And I think we're we're seeing that with a with a lot of our industry, unfortunately, or hopefully fortunately in the long term, um, at the moment, with a lot of venues having a shut, right? And yeah. And I think through those bad times, like positive times will come. And and I'm a testament to that. Like I, you know, I built two two bakeries for for you know six years for one and and 18 months for another and I worked my butt off Mm. and it all and it all went you know and I still managed to recover to recover my career and and to build something from it and I could have chosen not to do that and but I was lucky that I had a support system around me and a lot of people don't and I'm really reflective on that quite a lot but like I was lucky enough to have a support system around me which said no you can go and do it sure you can still be what you want to be and that just allowed me to choose a different path and the hospitality career, which I loved. And yeah, it's it's where I am today. So I'm extremely fortunate. It certainly makes a world of difference if there's a great support network of friends around you or business associates, that's for sure. Mm, Aside from um, obviously having great guests on your podcast, what do you think makes a good podcast? I think for me, having a purpose for the podcast is always a good thing. Sometimes, and you've you know, you've obviously you know let, given me a lot of detail into what what purpose you had for today, which has been better as a guest for me. Like sometimes people would just let it like just let it rip and have a conversation, Sean, and that's also good. <laughs> yeah, um, that's also good. You get a different conversation, but it's you know it, for a person who's not um, uh, hasn't been a, uh, hasn't been a guest on many podcasts, that can be quite overwhelming. <laughs> um, <laughs> I learned that pretty early on from hosting, yeah. hosting podcasts. 
So I think a purpose, I think really good questions. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think the host, as you're doing, sort of listening to my answers and then and then asking backup of follow-up questions, I think is critical. I think having a connection with the guest. Um, one thing I sort of started, like during when, when the podcast sort of really amped up, you know, after lockdown, after the first lockdown, um, <laughs> in, in March of 2020, I sort of, I had 40 podcasts in the bank and I decided, look, I'm just going to double down here. I, I had a lot of time and there's probably a lot of people I can talk to. So I decided that I'd just produce as many podcasts as I could. And that, and that sort of led to about 80 podcasts being recorded last wow. year. Wow. Um, which is, a, which is a lot, right? In reflection, yeah. it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, and but one thing I learned from doing that many is that if I put in enough preparation beforehand, and that was like I did with you, right? Like having a 10 or 15 minute chat, you know, a couple of days before the podcast went live. Um, and we were, sorry, we actually recorded the podcast just to have that connection with someone you may have not met before properly and to talk about what your plan is for the for the show and, and what they want to get out of it too. I think is a really good point. Absolutely. And, and, probably, and probably lastly is an outcome. Like, we're telling a story here, right? Yes. And stories need an outcome. I think, you know, to have an outcome to the end of this podcast, like, is, is really important because you need to leave the listener um, with something as, as they go. So they can, they can take, you know, something that I've said or something that you said, Lisa, mm. and something they can use for themselves. So I Absolutely. think an outcome is really important as well. Yeah. See, I'm writing all this down as you're saying this. <laughs> Take, taking it. student notes. <laughs> now, I'm sure you've had some awkward moments chatting to some of your guests. Do you recall yeah. any of those? Yeah, I, um, yeah, I was thinking about this uh, thinking about this the other day when we were talking about the questions. Um, so I guess during last year, especially as I was recording a lot of podcasts and promoting them, I had a lot of people ask to be on the podcast. Yeah, um, which is a fantastic problem to have, right? Like, it's oh yeah, people want to come on and share their story. Like, I'm yes. really fortunate of that. There, there was there was one guest, and I didn't end up releasing the podcast. Um, one because I it didn't record properly, so that was always a that was a bad thing. But also, uh, maybe on reflection, maybe the reason why. But you, I think you'll have podcasts as you go along, Lisa. Hopefully, this isn't one of them. But you'll 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 be sort of 10 or 15 minutes in and you'll just sort of go, this isn't going where I need it to go and I don't know where I'm going to drag it back to for my listeners, yeah. you know? And, and that was this kind of, like I took, a, I took a person who was out of the industry who I was trying to weave in a hospitality conversation into it. Yeah. And like I never wanted my podcast to be like a kind of inspirational rah-rah kind of podcast. And, yeah. and I, so I, took, I took a gamble with this particular person and it just didn't, it didn't work, and in the end, it didn't record properly, um, <laughs> and I, so therefore, I didn't release it. So I think I think that was an awkward part because I had to be really honest with um with that particular that particular person from outside the industry and say, look, this didn't record, and I'm not I'm not really sure if it was going to be something I'd want to release anyway. So I think I think that was you know that was probably a big wake up call. Um, how did how did they take that? Uh, not well. So <laughs> that, you know that's fine. That's yeah. fine. You know, you, you jump on a podcast and you give someone an hour of your time and you have to be respectful of that. Yeah. Um, there's, been, there's been a couple of podcasts which I've had to record twice and that's because, you know, the audio hasn't worked or something like that. And I've had that, I've had that recently um, still. So, you know, yeah. those things happen. Uh, you know, and most of the time it's okay. Like most of the time I'm pretty well versed with what I think the guest is going to say. So I don't think they're going to go off into a tangent which... Um, 
which I don't respect what they're going to say. Like I'm all for people's opinion who are not mine because that's really important. Mm. But um, respect is really important for me. So if then if a guest wasn't showing respect on a podcast um, to my listeners or to myself, then I'd find that really, really challenging to put out. But I haven't, oh, I haven't had that yet. Well, that's good. You know, we're, we're talking about awkward moments on podcasts. I, I've only probably, I think I've done about 22 so far that I've pre-recorded. So wow. nowhere near the amount that you have. <laughs> that's impressive. That's yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm binge, binge recording a bit like you were doing last year. But yes. when I had my TV show airing overseas, um, obviously I had some situations on camera where you, Every episode of the cooking show, we I would have a guest chef with me, and you know a lot of pe- some people were extroverts and very comfortable showing off in front of the camera, and then others not so much. But I had yeah. two situations that stand out in my head. One was this really lovely Jamaican chef who cooked in this fantastic restaurant on a beach in Tortola in the British Virgin Islands, and mm-hmm. he was very chatty and and lovely off camera. But as soon as the camera started rolling, he <laughs> froze, and I literally couldn't even get yeses and nos out. So I'd ask him a question and then have to answer it myself mm. because the poor guy was just not comfortable. So I think yep. from that situation, um, when I had another chef come on that I could sense he, he was actually Australian, but he worked on super yachts overseas and. It was a bit of a show pony off camera, but I got a feeling that he was going to kind of be a bit weird on camera. So I just plied him with like two bottles of champagne. He was a big guy and I thought he was going to be calm, but he was right. so wasted that he just giggled through the whole thing. <laughs> so, but we, 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 we ran it, we aired it, and it was just, it was hilarious to, you know, he was fine with it. He sort of gave it the okay, but it was definitely a very entertaining episode. Yeah, you're, I mean, I've seen a lot of your work on YouTube and your camera work is, is so much better than whenever I try to do anything. And I've, <laughs> I've rec- I've rec- I recently was like co-hosting like a, um, a couple of days in a webinar. Uh, well, one, one day of two-day webinar. Oh, wow. And, and, and we, did, we did a panel discussion. We did tr- I hosted three different panel discussions with three people or four people on each. And it was just, it was so, it was so hard because all of a sudden I was on camera. So it was, it was, <laughs> It was so hard for me to think about, you know, I had to think about what I had to wear, Lisa. Like it was, it was, oh. um, yeah, I know. So <laughs> it was, um, it was a pretty full on thing, but yeah, no, I, I take my hat off to you for all the work you've done. Like, it's been <laughs> oh, so impressive you. to see. Um, but I'm very glad you're into podcast now. This is good. Very yeah, good. no, it's fun. <laughs> now you um, had lots of guests, as you said before, have there been any standout guests that you, you really loved having on that were favourites? I think, um, other than yourself, of course. <laughs> I think, um, I think, I think there's kind of th- um, two or three that come to mind. And I think at the start of the start of me really doubling down on the podcast early last year, I interviewed um, Kim Teo, who's the CEO of Mr. Yum, which is a QR menu platform, which has gone um, berserk um, during wow. during lockdown. It's just such a great tech application and and that conversation was just an eye-opener for me for the technology industry and where it was going um and I was just so impressed with how she and the co-founders were leading that brand and the purpose behind it and I I think I learned a lot from that and and then after that we you know we um built up a a really good connection and that's led to me 
sort of doing some work for them last year, but also being an affiliate for them now. And, oh, and, that's fantastic. You know, so there, there aren't many brands that I'm affiliated with, you know, and because um, um, I really, you know, think about the credibility and respect that I have for, for people that I affiliate myself with. And, and they've just, they've gone from strength to strength and now are in the UK and the US and, wow. and um, are just killing it. So, um, so definitely that conversation. There's, there's a CEO called Nicholas Stone who's actually Australian, but he owns um, and has founded a coffee brand in the US called Bluestone Lane Coffee, which had a really good round of funding a couple of years ago, has scaled to, I think, beyond about 30 or 40 venues now. And wow. at the time I, talked, time I talked to him midway through last year, they were going through, you know, an obviously very challenging time with having a lot of shutdowns in particular cities because they were in, you know, New York and also LA and a lot of, a lot of those kind of um, states yeah. that, um, that would shut down quickly at, the, at those points. So just learning how he grew, um, especially past, you know, three or four venues and took it to the next level because I'm very much a believer that the third venue is the, is the catalyst for if you're going to do just three venues or if you're going to do a lot more, like you've learned so much in that third. Yes. Um, so we talked about that. And, and, then, and then we did a really long podcast, which could have gone a lot longer, with a gentleman called Leon Kennedy, who is the Australian GM of Proud Mary Coffee in Melbourne. And they are basically one of the best coffee roasters in Australia. Wow. Um, um, you know, just have exceptional um, depth of knowledge and care. Um, they've, got, um, they've got a venue in the US as well. Um, which the founder of the business, you know, started a couple of years ago as well in Portland, Oregon. Um, and, you know, they have so much credibility and respect internally through the coffee industry. And, and we talked about his career for, you know, um, over nearly 90 minutes. And we honestly could have gone for, and that's a long podcast, like most of them go for 45 to 60. And, and we honestly could have sat there for another hour and talked quite easily. So I think um, I think I learned a lot from that into someone who had, come in and out of the coffee industry sort of had an aha moment if they wanted to stay and and then you know develop their talent and their skill of people and product even further and and just to care like I, I just like it Lisa just like people like yourself right who just deeply care about what they do in the industry every day and the fact that it's just not about food and it's just not about beverage it's oh for sure yeah the connections that you make every day which is so important so i like any of those kind of conversations but those are three that sort of come to mind. stand out to you yeah is there anyone on your bucket list to to actually have on the podcast i think if i um we're trying to we're trying to focus on female leadership as much as we can um which it which at times can be a real challenge and we're, yeah. and we're trying to think about as principal hospitality grows and has different kind of conversations we want to bring more pod, more hospitality podcasters underneath the fold of the brand um and and that leads to us having hosts who are um, female and diversity in our uh, diversity as well so people who aren't look who don't look like me to be really brutally honest a yeah. six foot three white a six foot three <laughs> white guy right yeah. so we need to make so, we need, so I suppose that flows into who we have as guests. I'd really like to have, I've always really respected Kylie Kwong. Oh, um, wow. She's, she is, she's incredible. Just an, just an amazing person. I've never got to meet her in person, but she's definitely um, a bucket list. Everything she's done with Neil Perry early in her career and then building her own brand and reputation that is just 
you know, formidable. Like it's just she's so well respected. Um, yes. And then those kind of people that I want to talk to, and and then I think selfishly a couple of people that I've always looked to in the industry for a long time for different reasons. Like Heston Blumenthal is obviously a standout in our industry from a you know a science point of view and very creative point of view. Oh and, yeah. You know, I don't I don't think in those kind of terms. So I always like to talk to people who are who don't think um, 100% like me. Yeah. And and probably the final one is Danny Mayer. And Danny Mayer is, you know, basically the hospitality king in, in the US and has built, you know, brands like Shake Shack, but obviously he's building the industry for a long time. Um, uh, restaurants like Great Mercy and, and and those kind of venues are just, um, you know, Maylino, which I got, went and visited as well. Wow. Um, just, you know, just such, such inspirational um inspirational people and inspirational venues. So I like, I like people that care about the team and I like people that are really not negotiable when it comes to quality and service. Yeah. That's why I'd want to have those three guests on. Oh, well, excellent choices. Um, Mm -hmm. I have, I have a podcast coming up in a few weeks time that I'm going to be doing, which is um, with, I don't know if you've heard of the show. It's a US reality show called deadliest catch. It's uh, a, It's a bunch of really rough and tumble guys that are crew on a fishing boat off Alaska. And so every episode is basically near-death experiences and it's just really hardcore, you know, going through rough seas, you know. (laughs) So one of the guys from from the crew is going to come on. I'm going to talk to him. They're actually filming right now in Alaska, so I'm just waiting for that to finish before wow. I get him on, but um, he's quite the character. He offered to fly to Australia to do the podcast. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I sincerely hope, Lisa, that you release this podcast before that one because I don't want to follow up <laughs> from, from some Alaskan deadly fisherman like that. I don't know if I could follow from that. So I kind awesome. of feel like I might have to beep out a few words because... <laughs> <laughs> 100%, 100%. He he right. just in email. He seems very uh very entertaining. <laughs> right, <laughs> you can learn a lot from emails, can't you? Oh yes, yes. Yes. Now I know you you have a question that you ask at the end of your uh, podcasts, mm. and and mine is is a little different. It's obviously yacht related. Yeah. But as I I sort of mentioned to you previously with my questions, if you were a guest on any type of boat anywhere in the world what kind of boat would you like to be a yacht charter guest on and where good in regards to the boat um i think i would just like to be on i like the idea of like a mid-sized boat like not not too big but like not not small enough that i'm going to feel every wave so i think (laughs) i think you know probably probably conducive to a lot of the boats that you would have you know worked on through the caribbeans uh lisa like those kind of sizes not not a catamaran or anything like that, but like not a super yacht, but something right. that's sort of more more humble because I'm yep. a more humble individual most of the time. And and I think um, I think in regards to where I think you know the Philippines and the islands around the Philippines would be really good. So my partner is was born in the Philippines. Oh wow! And it's, it's somewhere where I've never been. So I think that would that would always stand out to me. And and my my sister's partner is from Thailand. So I think you know go around go around the Philippines and Thailand Island sounds pretty good to me. God, that's so, excellent um, choices. Yes. Yes. There you go. I'm glad oh, you're approved. I, yeah. I, pre- I, pre- I was worried what you might think. So <laughs> I, pre- I appreciate your approval. No, no, that's <laughs> definitely on my list. I've, I've yet to do, I mean, I've visited Thailand, uh, not yet the Philippines, but I've heard there's some amazing mm. islands off uh, both 
countries, which I'd yes, love to too. go as a guest too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, if cool. uh, obviously we've been talking about your podcast, how p- can people mm-hmm. hear it? Um, we've got a new website which we've just um, launched a couple of weeks ago. So you can go to you go to principalhospitality.com. Right. So principalhospitality.com or you can obviously find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, about 10 different podcast streams. So basically wherever you're listening to this, you'll be able to listen to, to our podcast as well. Um, but, yeah, principalhospitality.com is the easiest way to find it. And is that the same website that they would use to um, hire your services as well? No, that's slightly different. So um, to, to talk to me about um, what I do in regards to the systems and processes with, with Open Pantry Consulting, you just need to go to openpantryconsulting.com um, and just, uh, yeah, just search for me there. You can obviously go to the, the last page and, and contact me. Otherwise, you know, if you follow, if you're on LinkedIn, you can you can um, follow me quite easily there. I'm very much on LinkedIn um, usually every day. And then um, and then on Instagram, uh, Principal of Hospitality as well, you'd be able to find us too and contact it, me through there because I'm the one that replies to all the texts and DMs. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Lisa, most of the time. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you, everyone knows where to hunt you down now, so that's nice and easy. Awesome. <laughs> Sean, thank you so much for being part of this today. I mean, I, I honestly mean it when I said that you were the inspiration for this podcast. <laughs> I, I mean, we're, we've all been in these lockdowns on and off, Melbourne the worst, of course, but yes. it's a great, great uh, way of, of passing the time in a positive way and learning so much about everybody. Oh, it's, it's, thank you for saying such kind things. Um, I'm glad I gave you the inspiration, but you're the one that did it. So just remember that. And um, <laughs> no, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure having another conversation with you, Lisa. And obviously, many more to come. And, yes. and well done on the podcast. It's been a great episode. So thanks so much. Have a great day. <laughs> thanks, Lisa. Before I go, if you'd like to hear more information on today's podcast or you have any questions at all for me, you can contact me at my website, lisamead.com, L-I-S-A-M-E-A-D.com. Don't forget to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts, and you can even follow me at Chef Lisa Mead on Instagram. Until next time, I'm Chef Lisa Mead, and you've been listening to Tales of a Luxury Yacht Chef.